This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. This is the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast with Andy Hill. is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thanks for being here today. If you've been married and working full-time for quite a while, you know the importance of quality time spent with your spouse. This is a chance to catch up, to talk about fun memories, and to make new ones together. Unfortunately, our busy careers can make these quality get-togethers really difficult most days. There's late nights at work, there's deadlines, there's out-of-town trips. But what if you woke up on one Monday morning and you didn't have to go into the office? What if there were no business trips or no more work-related deadlines? How would that enhance your relationship with your spouse? To answer these questions, I've invited Tanya Hester and Mark Bungie on the show today. After 10 years of marriage and six years of diligent savings, this young couple decided to retire from their busy careers in late 2017 and give more time to their marriage. At 38 and 41, this couple has regained the best years of their lives. As early retirees, they're pursuing their passions for the outdoors, travel, and spending more quality time together. In our interview today, we're discussing how they saved up enough money to retire early, why they are thrilled about this new adventure together and how this new situation will enhance their relationship. After our time with Tanya and Mark, we are highlighting another Money Master of the Week. But first up, let's get inspired by early retirees, Tanya Hester and Mark Bungie. Tanya and Mark, thank you so much for being here. How's it going tonight? We are doing great. Thanks for having us, Andy. Excellent. Glad to be here. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining. And it's a big deal to me to have both of you on here because a lot of the journeys that we talk about for financial independence or, you know, getting rid of debt in people's lives, uh, a lot of that takes a partnership in a marriage. And you guys have definitely demonstrated that with your story. Uh, Tanya, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourselves and what you guys are all about at Our Next Life? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a couple, (laughs) as you already know, who are married. We um, have our 10-year anniversary coming up this year, actually. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for Uh, the reminder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Write that one down, Mark. I learned just today that that is the tin anniversary, so we will take cheap metal goods, apparently. That works for the frugal frugal couple. Yeah, exactly. Um, But we just retired. I'm 38. Mark is 41. We started working toward that about six years ago, um, but really four years in earnest. And it's pretty crazy how quickly it all fell into place and happened. Um, Before we retired just a couple weeks ago, we had long careers as political and social cause consultants in really good firms based out of DC. And we've been telecommuting to them for the last several years from California. So now we live in Tahoe and we are really excited to spend a lot more time skiing and hiking and climbing and all of the good mountain stuff that we moved here for. And yeah, it's a, it's a brave new world. So I, I feel like right now we have a lot that's open-ended more than, more than the opposite. 
Excellent. That's great. That's uh, I'm so happy for you guys. 38 and 41. You have your whole lives ahead of you to do all those things that you're so excited about doing. That's great. So, Mark, let me ask you, retirement, you hear that word a lot, early retirement. What does retirement actually mean to you? Gosh, we were five days into it. Uh, <laughs> planning it for six years. Tanya's been writing about it for the last three on our next life. And um, and yet somehow I feel a little bit stumped when you ask that. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is we moved to Tahoe to be near the things we like to do, skiing and biking and climbing and hiking and being outdoors. Um, and even though we've lived here for five years, six years, six years mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we feel like uh, tourists in our own town. Uh, we get out on weekends when the crowds are here. We get out um, and, you know, end up sort of barely scratching the surface of all the things that we moved here to do. And so for me, the you know, the first thing is to really live the life we moved here to do, but work always got in the way, um, travel and, and uh, long hours and and stuff. So there's a, a long, long list of that, I think, that could, uh, you know, for me, it's it's a very active retirement, but that's, that's a lot what it looks like for the foreseeable future. And I would just add on the money side, I think that what it originally meant to us when we first started planning for it was a life in which we never had to work again. And I think that we would still say that's true in terms of the the mandatory work. But I do think as we've gone through this journey and spent several years thinking about it and planning for it, we've realized that we're absolutely going to work in the future. But what we want is for that work to be completely optional, for it to be work that we love doing or care about or have some personal connection to and work that we can do on our own terms. And so I think I know there are folks out there who act like the retirement police and would say that it's not really retirement if we're working, but I would, I really strongly disagree. I think if it's totally optional work that we're choosing to do because it's fun and we like it or it gives us some other benefit, um, that's all good. Like that still counts as retired. So that retirement police would, would have you just sitting in the rocking chair waiting to die then? Yes. I think okay. that is what we are required to do just by the on. internet retirement police. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You're not golfing and you're not on a beach, so you aren't really retired. <laughs> yeah, you, you're supposed to be in like a lounge chair on the beach, yeah. in a rocking chair on a porch, or a recliner in your living room watching The Price is Right. Those are the right. three allowable activities. <laughs> okay, okay. Just just checking. I, that's, I'm glad we've defined retirement officially today, which is good. So let's talk about what you were doing just five days ago. Let's talk about your, your, your work. And I know you said that you were both in political and social. Could you, could you, I guess, could you give me a little background on what you were doing uh, previously? Uh, it, it sounds like you guys were both in the same industry. Is that right, Tanya? Yeah, we we have had very different job functions. So I've been more on the communications and advertising side, and Mark has been doing survey research, uh, you know, polling, focus groups, all that good stuff. Um, but all in the service of either political candidates, political issue campaigns, or social cause campaigns since, you know, political work is cyclical. So you can't be doing that all the time. Oh, my. Uh, so you were involved in some of this craziness just a year ago? <laughs> Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder you want to retire early. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I will say like that, it was really hard not to talk about that on the blog when we were anonymous for all those years. And 
2016 was one of the hardest years of our lives. I think everyone felt that, whether you worked in politics or not. But certainly for those of us who were closer to it, it was especially a painful year. And I think that's true regardless of what side of the aisle uh, you affiliate with. Sure. Uh, it, it's just politics have all gotten so um, divisive lately. It's really hard. But I think in addition to that, it being the penultimate year of our retirement savings, we were really in that mode where we were so focused on the end goal that we didn't really take much vacation. It helped that it was a presidential election year. So we really needed to work a lot. Mm. Um, but it, it just made it really tough. And it was hard not to say why on the blog or to say why we chose this year as our, uh, final, re- our final working year, um, because we knew we didn't want to go into another election cycle. We didn't want to work 2018. So that all, played into our timing. And it's nice to finally now be able to say why all of that was. And Mark, I mean, it sounds like this industry you guys are in, the the work that you were doing, pretty stressful. So, I mean, how do you feel today with, with not having to deal with that as 2018 approaches? I think the, the decompression is slow and I wouldn't say gradual. It's more sort of up and down. There are days when I wake up feeling retired. Um, really? Already? Bike, I went for a mountain <laughs> bike ride today and did a conference call, though, from from a switchback and then rode home and felt great. Um, and other days when I, I feel like I need to be checking my phone, even though there's nothing there for me mm-hmm. um, or checking email. So it definitely, um, uh, you know, five days isn't enough after 19 to 20 years of pretty long hours and, and being plugged in, you know, always reachable, always expected to be reachable. Um, it's definitely going to take a little time to decompress. It's worth adding. I think that the reason he mentioned that conference call is Mark is still probably going to do one or two small projects this year. Um, mainly just because given where the markets are at this moment at, record levels, uh, well overdue for a correction. And given all the uncertainty around healthcare, we felt like having just a little bit of a hedge this year wouldn't be the worst idea. So we're not totally escaping the next election cycle, but it will be drastically scaled back. And certainly it won't involve all the travel and all the all-nighter type work that we've been doing for years and years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I for a lot of people out there who are listening, you know, a lot of people who are working that nine to five or nine to nine, depending on what industry you're in. Uh, obviously they can really appreciate what you guys are moving toward or moving away from. Um, but it sounds like, I know you've, you've written about this Tanya on, on the website, instead of, you know, retiring from something, you are planning to retire to something, I guess, talk a little bit about that, that difference. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I do think a lot of folks probably feel the initial motivation to retire early because they are fed up with some aspect of work, the stress of it, the commute, the lack of appreciation, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and I think in our case, even though we have felt really fortunate to get to do careers that we felt really good about with work that we've believed in and clients we've been behind, um, it's still true that the stress has really taken a toll on us. And we've both had an impact on our health from the the toll of that work. So we have had that motivation to get away from it and to retire from something. So I don't want to act like this is all totally forward looking and, and about retiring to something. But I think if it's just about escaping work, that's not to me enough of a good reason to retire early. That should maybe lead you to find another job or explore a different career path. Um, but in our case, Mark mentioned all the outdoorsy stuff we really want to do. You know, we realized many years back that we were happiest in the mountains and we were spending 
almost all of our free time when we lived down in LA, traveling up to the Sierra Nevada mountains to ski in the winter, to hike and climb in the summer, and to do all of the stuff that we just really loved and felt most alive doing. And so when we had the opportunity six years ago to move up to Tahoe, we definitely jumped at it. But then even then living here, we haven't felt like we've gotten to really dive into that stuff. So there is such a huge aspect of this for us that's about enjoying the place we live, being outdoors, getting to explore all the different activities we haven't done before, getting to climb more mountains, all of that. I think then there are also the kind of what I think of as like the indoor goals that we're we're working toward now. You know, I write the blog. We together are going to be launching a podcast in a couple of months, which is definitely going to be more on the silly side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so not purely personal finance at all. Um, but it's really then about getting to figure out what we want to do when we grow up. So I think if there are opportunities that come along that get us, give us a chance to explore other sides of ourselves, that's something we'd love to do. We have a couple of public speaking gigs lined up and that's something that we both have really loved doing as a part of work and that we knew we'd miss. And so when those opportunities started to arise, we said like, hell yes, we want to do that. So it's, you know, there are still going to be a lot of things in our lives that look like work, but they're going to be things that the way I think of it is like, would I have done it for free in high school? And if the answer then was yes, then it's totally fair game. If it's stuff that like you would have to pay me a lot of money to do, um, at any point in life, then nah, we'll pass on that stuff. That's a great barometer. I like that a lot. What would I have done in high school for free? That's cool. Uh, you you mentioned health uh, in your in your statement there. Uh, I understand part of your motivation was uh, around health. Is that true? Yeah, my dad has a disability that I have the same genes for, and so at this point, I'm probably old enough to feel pretty certain that I'm not going to get his particular manifestation of it. But I do have some physical. Uh, I don't want to say limitations, but it sounds too strong, but, um, I am very injury prone as a result of some connective tissue issues. And I know that I'm not always going to be able to be super, super active to the level that I'd like. And knowing that has really motivated me in particular to make sure I'm not spending all my good years working and sitting at a computer instead of being out and about and seeing the world and climbing mountains and doing all that stuff. I think for Mark, um, you should speak for yourself, babe, but I, I think, in the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, just a little bit more of the manifestations of stress that have then reaffirmed for us that we're doing the right thing. The reality is I was never, you know, growing up, I wasn't an overachiever. Um, I wasn't the student who asked for extra credit. Maybe Tanya was a little more <laughs> in that regard. And I didn't, and I didn't, you know, in high school, I, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I didn't really know. I knew at some point I wanted to be a ski bum. I thought that would be fun. Um, and I sort of ended up in a career that while was very in, in, in some ways enjoyable and rewarding and challenging and interesting, I, I mean, I, it, there was a lot about it I liked. It was very demanding and not a great fit for me long term. Um, so while I did back now, wow, 15 years ago, um, quit for five months and ski and travel Europe on, I think I'd saved eight or $9,000 total at that point. Um, I did a little hiatus and realized that, you know, I didn't have to be wedded to work forever the idea of, you know, of, of retirement didn't really, you know, co- come into our consciousness until a few years ago. But mm. 
broader, broadly speaking, it was, you know, this was not a perfect career fit for me. Um, so once we realized there was a way that we could really buckle down, commit ourselves to work and, and achieve this vision that I think, at least for me, was probably closer to what's a better fit for who I am, um, both emotionally and spiritually was, uh, and, and is, was kind of a real blessing and, and big light that mm-hmm. went off. Mm-hmm. That's great. And you, and you had that opportunity. It's almost like a mini retirement you gave yourself just to get that preview of what it could be. Is that right? Yeah, I, th- I thought, oh, after high school, I'll go be a ski bum for a year and put off college. But then everybody goes to college. So I went to college. And then after college, I was going to be a ski bum, but I was broke. So I needed to go make some money. And then finally, around 25, I met a, I actually ran into an old friend from high school. And he had told me about quitting his job. And I was like, oh, you can you can quit your job. You can, <laughs> you can just do that and go play. That was a, the first I think the first time a light bulb went off. But of course, back then, I you know, neither financially nor I didn't have the wherewithal to start this path or the idea until much later when when Tanya helped, you know, turn me on to the idea of early retirement. Let's talk about that. So you guys are married and you've gotten to a point in your career where you're both doing well, but you're saying, man, this isn't what we want to do forever. So I guess it sounds like Tanya was the first one to bring it up or it, it was in your brain as well. And you were both on, on fire right at the same time. Or did it take some convincing? Tell, tell me about the marriage dynamic there, Tanya. How'd that, how'd that work? Well, Tanya's making faces at me. Maybe uh, she rem- <laughs> that it's on you, buddy. <laughs> I had the, I had the maybe kind of wacky 10 year vision, but Tanya's the one who kind of got us, I think started putting numbers down and showing that it, well, got us a book that was really inspirational and helpful um, how to retire early by Robin and Robert Charlton. And, uh, that laid out their numbers year by year, how much they saved, you know, what, how you do this step by step. And when we saw that, neither of whom earned a, I would say, you know, above average salary, but not a excessive salary. Oh no. I mean, they, they together, they saved for retirement in 10 years and never earned six figures combined. Wow. So seeing that really sort of crystallized then, oh, we can actually do this. Um, and so then what we sort of very amorphously and joking, half jokingly, I think, called our 10-year plan, um, we would, without even really doing all the math, we started shaving a number off every, a year off every now and then. So, oh, it's our nine-year plan. Oh, it's our eight-year plan. And, and then when we actually started gaming it out and looking at how quickly the the money was racking up, we, it be, ultimately became our six-year plan. Yeah. The 10-year the plan was born six years ago and, and we're done now. I think it's true that I definitely did some of the initial research to figure out how we actually put numbers behind it. But we had both been, I think, very aligned financially for a while because we had already achieved some pretty big financial goals. We had bought two places together, which one was in LA and one was in Tahoe. So neither of those were a small undertaking. And prior to that, I had paid off a pretty significant chunk of debt that I had um, with support from Mark even before we were married. So we had worked through some financial stuff. But I think the idea of being able to not work forever, I I think of as Mark's idea, uh, probably inspired by what we call his sabbatical, the quitting to go ski bum and tour Europe. And I was sort of of that same mind, like, really, you can just quit your job. You you don't have to work forever and um, you aren't trapped in that. And and we both definitely knew from very early on in our relationship that neither of us got 
our biggest joy from work, that we'd much rather be doing other things. And so then once we realized that it was possible, it was a very easy sell. Neither of us had to convince the other. And I, I get lots of letters from readers who say like, how do I talk my wife into this? Or how, <laughs> how do I, you know, get my husband to follow the plan? I'm like, I have no idea because we never did that. <laughs> we both were like, we could do this. Yes, we're doing this. Well, let's talk about that plan. Then you said you guys read this great book that inspired you. Um, how does somebody retire early? How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, that is a great question. Um, I mean, fundamentally, I think the concept could not be simpler. It's really about trying to create as big a distance between what you earn and what you spend as possible, and then saving that difference. There are a lot of different models for how to do it. Some people do it by building up a real estate empire. I, I say empire kind of jokingly. You know, if you have a couple of rental properties, often that provides enough passive income through rent to cover all your expenses, and then you can actually retire pretty quickly. Um, in our case, we have a rental property, but that was more incidental. We've focused on the pretty vanilla mainstream version of early retirement, which is investing in index funds. Um, so those we will be selling shares of to live off of in what we call phase one. I think the thing that we did that was a bit different from some other folks is because we didn't stumble on the idea of early retirement until we were already well into our 30s. And we had pretty sizable 401k balances already built up, especially Mark, because he got a very good early start on that. We decided that we wanted to actually leave that money alone instead of using that to fund our early retirement. And so we've focused the last several years on really paying off the house and investing in index funds so that we would have what we call our phase one taxable accounts to live off of for the first approximately 18 and a half years of our early retirement until Mark turns 59 and a half and we can tap the 401ks without penalty. So a lot of folks are doing different forms of Roth conversions or the 72 T rule or all these different, you know, complex tax things to get at some of that retirement money early. Our plan is not to do that. Our plan is to leave it alone and live on this separate pool and live a little bit leaner in our younger years when we're a little bit more resilient. And then hopefully when we're a little older, we can be just a tiny bit more baller and yeah. <laughs> be comfortable and um, have a, you know, slightly stepped up standard of living in our, in our older years. couple questions yeah. there then. So if you we're building up the 401k at that point when you said, Hey, we're going to do early retirement. Did you stop contributing to the 401k and doing what you were doing and go straight into uh, taxable uh, brokerage or what, what was your path there? No, not at all. We still, you know, needed, wanted and needed to get our 401ks built up. And obviously the tax advantages of that, even, um, you know, for an early retiree, if you're going to ladder it and access it sooner, still would have come out ahead. Um, but what we had, because we had saved up to buy our first condo together and then to buy our, what we initially intended to be our second home and is now our retirement home in Tahoe, that had been all of our, you know, extra money beyond retirement savings had really gone to saving and purchasing those homes. Um, once we had done that, uh, then, the you know the big challenge was putting money into uh, post tax accounts and getting that what Tanya calls the phase one mm -hmm. retirement account padded, but it wasn't at the expense of four hundred one k. I mean, I think just in terms of nuts and bolts, then this is not a secret to most fire people. But the two biggest things was one recognizing that lifestyle inflation had sort of had had impacted us, and you know we were probably early mid thirties at that point, and recognizing that we could live happily on the same amount we had earned 
five years earlier. That was enough to cover our expenses and enough to have fun with. Um, but then there was sort of mindless spending that just when there was money in your checking, you spend it. Mm-hmm. And um, so recognizing that and kind of ratcheting down what we spent and the, the way we did that, which we've never been good budgeters um, at all in terms of saying this is our line item for food and this is our line item for going out. Um, but what we noticed was lifestyle inflation happens because if it's in your checking account, you spend it. And you don't pay attention. You just sort of do that subconsciously. Or maybe not you, but at least we. <laughs> we, we would spend that money. I think we, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, but so we tried the reverse, which is if you just didn't, you know, hide it, pay yourself in advance or hide it from yourself, we didn't have to do a budget that we would, um, to ratchet down our spending, we just invested it. And then also sort of subconsciously, the rest of the things fell into place. Because if the money's not there, you're not going to spend it. And I'll just add one quick thing, Andy, to your question about the 401k. I mm-hmm. think it, we don't share our numbers, but we've tried to be pretty transparent on the blog that we definitely have earned a well above average income. Mm-hmm. And so we know that being able to max out our 401ks plus save taxable plus pay off the house is not something that's going to be accessible for a lot of folks. I think if we did not have the means to do all three of those, we we might have downsized a little bit what we were saving in the 401k to prioritize the taxable. Um, but we were just super, super lucky, especially, you know, not having kids and, and having bought our house really at the bottom of the recession so that it was as affordable as it could possibly be in Tahoe. Um, we just were lucky to have the means to do all those things. Well, you're lucky enough, but you're also successful enough to have done that. So congratulations on, on kicking so much butt in your career that you both got to a point where you were making such great money. So so, yes, you were lucky, but you also worked very hard to get there. So there's, yeah, uh, that's that's. A, I just wanted to make that point. Obviously, I mean, a lot of people, I've seen that a lot in comments. It's like, well, that's nice because they make good money. If if you're not making good money, there's lots of great ways to find out how to make great money. Do you not agree? Oh, totally agree. I think, you know, we are very cognizant of the opportunities that we've had in life that we know not everyone has had. And we both have been so supported by family and have had safety nets along the way. Um, I think about in particular my upbringing, my dad being disabled, not a fixed income. If it wasn't for a lot of social safety nets, I wouldn't have even probably gotten through high school and, and certainly wouldn't have had the ability to work hard enough to get my college paid for, which which happened. So those are opportunities that we're grateful for, but absolutely we've worked our asses off. Yeah, <laughs> if I may, absolutely. if I may say that, and we've, we've totally devoted ourselves to our careers for, in my case, 16 years in Mark's case, almost 20 and, you know, have been the people who were willing to do everything. And, and I mean, just this, my last year of travel, I, I had over 60 hotel nights uh, for work. So, you know, like we, we've earned that money. We, we know we have, but you know, it's, we see both sides of the coin for sure. sure. And then we're, when we did get promotions, we, you know, we still tried to keep that set point of spending at the, what it was before. And so, you know, immediately ratchet up our investing rather than ratcheting up our spending. I think we each got maybe one or two promotions over the course of our retirement planning. Yeah. In the last stages, but we had already done a, a decent job before, you know, when we were saving for our homes of trying to bank raises and bank bonuses. So we were in a pretty good habit with that. I think we probably spent the least amount possible of, of any like senior vice president and partner (laughs) of consulting firms that people have met. Um, just because as Mark said, yeah, we, we, we pretty much have just continued to live on what we were earning maybe 10 years ago. 
Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into our conversation with early retirees, Tanya Hester and Mark Bungie. Where you live, and what would you say you're living on? Fifty percent of your income, or more? What's the number? Uh, you know, I've stopped sharing our actual savings rate because, okay. and I'll I'll tell you why. It's just because we realized that in putting it up on the blog, there would be people who would see that and then compare their own savings rate to it and mm-hmm. feel that they weren't being successful. And I felt like I don't want to play a part in shaming people for sure. what is awesome progress. But I will I will say it, it is well over half, Mm -hmm. um, that we were able to save if you tally up everything like the extra principal against the mortgage and, and all of the 401k plus taxable savings. So yeah, no, I mean, it it was a very high percent in the last couple of years, just because we, we had continued to bank those raises and, and just not let stuff inflate. Well, without, without even divulging the percentage or anything like that, the point here is this can happen when you have a saver's mindset, right? Totally. I wrote a post earlier, uh, actually now, now that it's 2018, it's not earlier this year anymore. I wrote a post (laughs) last year, um, that, that really did some of the math on this. If you can, I call it lifestyle stagnation. I think that sounds really boring. You could also just call it, you know, lifestyle levelness or something like that. But if, if you just are getting a few percent 
a year in your raises at work, that adds up over time. Compounding doesn't just work in investing and saving. It also works in your earnings. And that's something that we have really seen. We've both been, or we've now left them, but we were in the same jobs for essentially our whole careers and never got massive raises. But, you know, you just keep getting these consistent raises over time and that stuff adds up. And if you can keep banking that stuff, then all of a sudden what you're saving is a huge percent. So uh, as Mark said, we were all about automation. I don't even feel like we are savers, even though we've obviously saved a lot because we weren't each month having to say, okay, let's move money into savings. We tried to set that stuff up. So it happened before we even saw it. Um, but each year when we knew what our new paychecks would be, we'd go in and adjust all the automatic investments that would happen. We'd have part of our paycheck split off um, by by HR. So it went straight into savings. So it, it was really for us about taking the decision out and, instead of having to make that decision a couple of times a month or every time we might spend money, we made that decision once a year when we got new paycheck amounts. That's great. That's excellent. So one point you said earlier is that you guys also paid off your mortgage. And I understand that's a little bit of a debate in our little blog world that we live in here, the uh, paying off the mortgage versus investing. So what, what's your, I guess, what's your opinion, uh, Mark, I'll throw it at you. What's your, what's your opinion on why you guys decided to pay off the mortgage instead of throwing more in this, uh, massive bull market that we're in? Yeah. Tanya's written a bit about this, so I'll actually let her take it. If okay. that's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I just didn't want to leave you out, man. <laughs> um, he has plenty to say. We'll make sure that we get Mark on some other answers. Um, <laughs> it's so funny because I, I'm going to take a slightly more circuitous route of answering this. I think that in the fire community in particular, there is a huge amount of recency bias, you know, like the idea of financial independence and early retirement has only existed for at most maybe a decade in terms of a, a widespread idea. And that last decade for the most part happens to be one of the greatest boom times in our economic history. So it's one of these things where I think it's very easy to look smart and look like an expert when the markets are going gangbusters. So a lot of the folks who I think are proponents of not paying down the mortgage and instead investing that money, like that sounds really great right now while the markets are netting these big yields each year. But as soon as we see a downturn, I think you and we are all going to feel real smart (laughs) for paying off the mortgage. I mean, I think in our case, it was a few different factors. It was really that we knew paying off the mortgage would give us a guaranteed return, which we knew that the markets couldn't couldn't promise. Mm-hmm. The, but the bigger thing was that we looked at both sides of it. We said, okay, we can either save a little bit more in order to be able to pay the mortgage and then have that be a continual thing we do even when we're retired. Or we could put that money now into paying off the house and then go into retirement with a bit less saved, um, but our cost of living will be cheaper. There was an added factor to this that I do think is super important for folks to think about, which is Affordable Care Act health insurance. So depending what your income level is or what you anticipate it might be in early retirement, if you're trying to have enough saved to earn enough from that to be able to not only cover your basic living expenses, but also cover a mortgage, then there is a very good chance that you could actually trigger a higher income level, which means that your healthcare costs will go up perhaps significantly. Mm. And we did a little bit of, of math on that for us and discovered that it, you know, the markets would have to make like 30% a year to give us enough to offset the healthcare cost reduction that we'd be trading. And so that was such a no brainer. Now, there is a ton of uncertainty with healthcare. The Republicans are, are continuing to talk about repealing Obamacare. None of us know what's going to happen. So 
long-term, if someone's looking at early retirement many years down the road, I don't know that I would say like plan all your finances around healthcare, but it was certainly a big factor for us. Plus just like I'm super risk averse. And I really liked the idea of knowing that we earned the house free and clear and could keep our expenses low. And the one other thing in terms of prepaying the mortgage in terms of just thinking about it, and because this is a common debate, as you say, in the fire community, is that we started looking at it as a way of diversifying our portfolio. So, you know, we could we were still investing in our you know Vanguard index funds every month. Um, but if unless you're doing 100 percent equities and no bonds or anything, most people are putting some in cash, some in bonds, some in stocks. And prepaying the mortgage was a guaranteed, I forget what our interest rate was, but it was a guaranteed three and some you know quarter percent return um, by every time you prepay it, of course, because over the life of it. So we looked at that as, um, you know, yes, the market did better than than that. But, in, you know, if you're going to be putting that money into something other than equities, um, that was the best guaranteed return we could get at that point um, for that, you know, for that share paying down the principal. And you guys mentioned healthcare there. People are going to be thinking about that. I'm sure that's always a question you receive. So, what do you guys do for your healthcare now? Oh my gosh, this is a, a <laughs> slightly raw subject. <laughs> okay. timely, timely question, Andy. All right. Okay. Uh, we we literally just uh, today. <laughs> secured our our retirement health care uh, because it turned out to be a little bit of a an ordeal. Um, but we have an exchange plan. We are on a Blue Shield PPO. It looks totally like normal health insurance. And uh, we looked at the different options that were offered in California. California has its own exchange. So, you know, the, the process was ever so slightly different than it is for folks who are in a non-exchange state who are buying healthcare through healthcare.gov. But the principle is the same. You plug in what your anticipated income is, and then they tell you what your premiums are and and what your choices are. We went with the silver plan um, for those who care about such details, because that has the biggest uh, reduction in premiums offered and had the best benefits. But we did really wrestle with that of, do we go with a really high deductible plan with lower benefits and just bank on not needing to use healthcare? Um, there were some reasons why we chose the plan we did, but uh, we we for sure weighed all those options and tried to look at what would be our, our lowest total cost. I think that's just for this year, though. We're for sure keeping a very close eye on the landscape. And healthcare is something that I write about on the blog pretty frequently whenever we know more information. We've been in a time of uncertainty for a while, so there, there hasn't been new info to share. But you know, I think a lot of retirees look at things like healthcare tourism. You know, if we've talked about with Mark, he needs to have two more wisdom teeth taken out at some point. We're probably going to take care of that on our travels, like when we go to Thailand or Mexico or something. Um, but I, I don't think that relying on healthcare tourism is a particularly way to, good way to go unless you plan to move abroad, because most healthcare costs tend to come from really unexpected things that are hard to plan for. Like, yeah, sure. I, I, someone who needs a knee replacement or something, you can plan for that. You could travel to do it. But the biggest expenses are going to be getting into a car accident and having some horrible injuries or getting cancer and needing to have extended treatment, things that you want to be home for um, or that you have no choice about your location for. Having insurance just wasn't a, a question. We knew we were going to do it. So healthcare tourism, talk about that a little bit. That's so interesting. Um, how, how does somebody find out the best place to get their wisdom teeth taken out in the, in the world? 
So it turns out there is a whole corner of the internet dedicated to this. Um, there are a lot of American expats who move abroad or also who travel. So it doesn't take long to Google um, healthcare tourism to get a lot of stuff. And in fact, quite a few countries like Thailand and like some of the places in Mexico actually market specifically to Americans and talk about their high quality of care. And there are lots of folks who can attest to that. And, and so, um, again, it's something we hope not to rely on. I think dental care is probably one thing we might especially look at it for just given that, uh, there's, there's no cheap dental insurance option after you leave traditional mm -hmm. employment. So, um, and those are easier to schedule, you know, like getting a cleaning and a checkup when we're on a trip is really not a hard thing to do. That's incredible. Wow. You're right. I mean, you just go into these little holes in the internet and you keep digging and digging <laughs> and digging and you find these communities that exist, the fire community, the expat tooth uh, dental care community. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, cool. Well, so let's talk a little bit about what uh, your life is like now. I know, Mark, you described your day uh, and you guys are only into this five days. That's great. I'm so glad it's so fresh. Um, uh, Mark, what, what does it mean to you and your marriage with Tanya that you guys have the ability to own your time now? What, what is that going to mean for your relationship? Well, that we're looking forward to exploring that together. I know, I mean, one of the challenges of the jobs we've had, the specific jobs we've had is, um, especially for me in election years and especially for her all the time, um, uh, Tanya travel has traveled a ton. Um, I travel a fair amount, but not as much. So what happens in often in election years is my office is in the attic of our house. Um, and I'll uh, go up to the attic at six or seven in the morning and, um, up a, up a ladder through my <laughs> attic office and, um, come down maybe around dinner time. And on weeks when Tanya's not traveling, we'll see each other for a little bit over dinner, uh, maybe catch a quick nap and then go back and work till, you know, after midnight often. Um, but a lot of the weeks Tanya was on the road. So we, you know, both were, you know, over, Rot, overwhelmed, and you know, would Tanya would come back from a trip, and she would be tired from her long week. I would want to cook her dinner and have the house nice and ready, and look at you know as a little reward. But I was so you know worked and wrecked and tired that I wouldn't have it. You know, feeling like I'm being a good partner. Um, I don't think I would say compared to most couples, I wouldn't say we really struggled, but I think both of us wish we could have been better partners for the other people. Um, obviously just physically being present is a key part of a marriage. Um, so we're definitely looking forward to that. Um, you know, foreign travel, international travel and domestic travel is something that's been exciting or important and exciting for both of us. Um, and I would say compared to how important it and, and exciting it is for us, we haven't probably done it as much as we would have liked, at least for fun. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to, you know, tour the world and explore lots of new places with Tanya. Um, but, you know, again, from the starting point of really just a lot of time, not even seeing each other for days on end. Um, I think we're looking, I, at least I'm just looking forward to reconnecting and being able to spend time together. That's incredible. It's almost like you guys are, uh, starting a whole new phase of your marriage right now and having the ability to not only spend that quality time together, like you're talking about, but both of you are going to be now pursuing things that you're very passionate about. Not that you have to, do things that you want to do and that you're very passionate about. It's almost like you're both going to have a, 
I guess, reinvigorated zest for life. And you're both going to be having uh, less stress and that decreased stress is going to enhance your marriage. It's, it's just at least what I'm, what I'm thinking about as you're describing this. Do you guys feel the same way? Oh, completely. I, I've been saying for months now that I'm really looking forward to meeting the best versions of us. And, you know, I, I'll just speak for myself, but I know I have not been the best partner with all of the work stress and all the travel. I've just been tired so much of the time and feeling the need when I come home to be a bit selfish and just try to focus on relaxing and taking care of myself. Cause I, I think there have been times with work where I've just felt like I'm in survival mode and haven't had the mental capacity or physical capacity to just be as present as I would like, even when I'm home. So I think getting to be a better partner is something that I'm really excited about. And as Mark said, you know, just having more time together, like, I think we'll be good. That's, it, it, it is funny. I, the, with traditional retirement, divorce rates skyrocket right after people retire when wow. people d- discover that they don't actually like spending time <laughs> together. Oh my God. Um, I, I don't think we're worried about that for ourselves because even though I have traveled a lot, we also both work from home. So we still on balance probably have more time in physical proximity to each other than, than most couples do. But I think like spending time together is our favorite thing to do. And now getting to have more time for that just feels like the biggest privilege. Excellent. And then travel sounds like it's incredibly important to you guys. And from what I was reading, you have saved up 300 gajabillion miles, uh, travel miles. So how are oh, we going to use yeah. those gajillion miles? Add a zero to that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I'm sorry. I misread the article. My bad. No, no, it's okay. No, we, and, and to anyone who's wondering, we are 3 million travel miles combined. We earned mostly the hard way. Only a little bit of that was with tra- travel hacking. So don't get too jealous. That was literally, I have spent months of my life on airplanes. Wow. So yeah. I, where, where's the first destination? What's, ex, what's exciting you guys about utilizing those miles or just even your hard earned dollars? Where, where are you guys going? That's going to that's going to make you feel really excited. We're five days away from flying to Taiwan. Um, we're going to spend two weeks there traveling around the island and um, really looking forward to that. And uh, we have a trip to New York, possibly Germany then after that uh, later in the spring. Um, we, yeah, we've got, you know, the chance to balance, uh, to use some cash in some of these miles that Tanya's worked so hard to earn. And, uh, and also, you know, through the blog, Tanya's met people all over the world who've talked about wanting to meet up in various countries. So we're, you know, we're, uh, we have lots and lots of travel ideas. Eventually I think we want to get an RV or a trailer of some sort camper van type thing. Um, and, you know, visit all the national parks in the U S and Canada, um, and even drive, do an extended central and South America trip, possibly road tripping all the way to the tip of South America, um, spending, a uh, our summer, their winter in the Andes, either in Chile or Argentina to ski down there, do what's called an endless winter where we would ski here and then follow the winter down there. Um, so we have no, probably more ideas than we have time and money <laughs> to actually bring <laughs> to fruition, but, um, no shortage of inspiration. Well, that's what it's all about, man. That's great. And you guys, I mean, you, you have the opportunity to travel. You're going to have the opportunity to, uh, spend more time together in your marriage and pursue some things you're really passionate about. Very cool. Uh, you guys had mentioned how to, I'm going to repeat it here, how to retire early by Robert Charlton. Is that right? That's right. It's okay. a 
self-published book on Amazon. Excellent. Excellent. So, so that was one of the books that really influenced you on this journey. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. He, he breaks down their savings by year and just goes into a lot more granular detail than we'd seen in any other resource. So that was a super helpful one for us. Excellent. Well, I'll put that one in the show notes. I always like to try to leave a book that inspired uh, some of these very successful people that I've been able to talk to like yourselves. Thank you so much for spending the time with me tonight. I do have a total hypothetical question. This isn't anybody that you know, or that I know. It's let's just say you're 35 and you're married, you got two little kids and you're completely dead free, no consumer debt, no mortgage, and you're maxing out your tax advantage accounts. Where should you put your money in 2018 if you want to retire in five to 10 years? This is totally hypothetical. It's not anybody that you know that you're talking to right now. (laughs) Totally hypothetical. Yeah, no, and it's funny because I I feel like that was us like a few years ago. I mean, not not quite at the mortgage-free point at that moment, but yeah, no. Mark, do you want to take it? Yeah, definitely Bitcoin. Totally. He's kidding. He's kidding. Thank you. <laughs> I've been wanting to dump all my money in Bitcoin. Yeah. Actually, by the time this airs, it'll probably be $25,000 a coin. At the... <laughs> no, seriously, we're all joking. Don't do that. Yeah, it's a I mean, that's a tough question with its timing. Um, you know, the what we finally came around to was just getting very formulaic and I would think bland in our investing. Um, you know, we've always done a mix of Vanguard um, equity index funds, the S&P funds, um, and the total market funds, some international funds because of their low, you know, low cost and, and just not trying to pick winners and losers. And then also, a, um, a bonds and some personal loans that generate some income. But right. I mean, you know, so what we just decided, here's our ratio and we're going to stick to that. And, um, and also at the, you know, for a long time paying down our mortgage, um, man, right now it's, it's, I know you don't, nobody should try and time the market. It's really hard to not tell people to time the market. Yeah, right we're at nine years stretch, right? Yeah, and we crossed 25,000 today with oh the Dow. God. So yeah, no, it's it's bonkers at the moment. I mean, we do definitely believe in not timing the market generally, but I think that that principle has been tested lately. <laughs> but yeah. there it is. I mean, honestly, I, whoever this guy is that we're talking about this hypothetical situation, yep. m- thinking about maybe real estate might make more sense at this point just because of the volatility of where it could go. But again, who knows? Who knows, right? You don't know. No, and that's that's what I was going to say is I think that there you could make a very strong case right now for really just trying to sink as much into cash as yeah. possible mm-hmm. and keeping that money liquid so that when this inevitable recession or correction does come, you're in a position, not you, the hypothetical person. Yeah, that guy, whoever that is. Yeah would be in a position to get some deals. I think in almost every place right now, real estate is inflated and I, I wouldn't be looking to buy right now. Um, but putting yourself in a position where you can buy when things contract a little bit would certainly be a good way to go. I think that's something that we talk about, that we wish we had maybe picked up another rental during the last recession. We, we feel like we waited too long and now we're, we're kind of pot committed to this approach and not necessarily interested in being professional landlords either. Uh, but if you have the stomach for that. I think that that's a, a great way to go. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too hard on yourselves. You guys are doing great. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, real, go ahead. <laughs> and real estate cycles are often longer than stock cycle than mm-hmm. market cycles. So you could certainly this, you know, yes, at least in our area, it's pretty high in California. Things are pretty high, but there's no reason to think it won't keep going for a while. Yeah. Um, 
And you know the the thing about real estate investing, of course, or any real estate purchase, as long as you're you can afford the mortgage, it sort of doesn't matter if values go, and you don't have to sell. It kind of doesn't matter if values go down. You know, if your rent is covering, if you buy an investment property and your rent is covering your mortgage, um, and you can ride it out, it doesn't matter if you buy at the wrong time of the cycle. It's it's not it's not fun. It hurts it hurts your soul when you see that happen. But as long as it's positive cash flow or neutral cash flow, you're still doing okay. Yeah, I think though the piece of real estate investing that I wish more people would talk about that we we sort of knew but hadn't really thought through because we do have the one rental is that just because the rent amount covers the mortgage doesn't necessarily mean that it's cash flow neutral while you're in payoff mode. Um, we did not factor in income tax on the the rent and what's calculated as income. You know, you get a ton of write-offs when you have a rental property and you get the depreciation, you get to write off all the expenses. So it it is, you know, those are good things from a tax perspective. But when we've been working and we've been in this high tax bracket, we have definitely taken a hit. So what looked like a good rental property investment for us has been you know, like it'll still end up being a good investment long term, but it hasn't necessarily been a positive in the short term. In our case, we did it for family reasons. We bought the rental to rent to a relative who was in need. And so we still feel really good about that. We would do the same thing over again in a heartbeat. But I think if we were looking at it purely from a a financial perspective, we would look at it a bit differently. Also probably do a 30 year mortgage instead of a 15, which we did um, for almost any real estate investor would tell us we were being stupid with that. Oh, I think, yeah, one or two people have said we weren't totally crazy, (laughs) but yeah, but you have you know, we're not paying off the rental property mortgage quickly, even though we're very anti-debt and we're excited to pay off the, the mortgage on the house. It's just a very different calculation for a investment property. Sure. You guys are, you guys are calculating that as, almost as a separate business from what you're, what you're doing currently. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, for those people outside of that specific situation, let's leave them with one action that they can take today to start moving toward that path of early retirement. This can be uh, just something that actually that they could make a change in their lives today. I know it's a long process to do this, what you guys did very successful in doing it, but what's one thing that somebody could do today to start uh, heading down this path? I would say, and I'm sure plenty of people have used this phrase before, define your enough, figure out what's an amount of money that you need, that you need to earn to be secure and happy. And then if you're not at that point, do everything you can to get your income up to and above that point. If you've already exceeded that, do your best to ratchet down your spending to that and just freeze it there. Every t- and then every time you get a raise, every time you get a bonus, anytime you come into any other amount of money, save it, invest it, and just you know try and keep you know anchor your happiness around that lifestyle rather than always finding ways to spend every little extra dollar you get. Yeah. And I think I'd probably say something that's kind of the flip side of the same idea, which is get really, get really granular with your spending and figure out what of the money you're spending actually adds value to your life and what doesn't. It's, 
it's very easy to think that all spending adds value. You know, like I love a Starbucks soy latte as much as any person on the planet and have recently discovered their nitro uh, iced coffee. It's like truly a spectacular thing. But I would not say that if I was buying that every day, that that would be adding real value to my life. So I'm, I am not a fan of actually the latte factor. And I don't think everyone has to cut out lattes if that truly brings you joy. But if it doesn't, if it's just a thing you buy because that's what people do, those are easy things to chop. So I think starting to look at just the little things like the cable TV, if you still have that, if you're not a cord cutter yet, like how happy does that make you really compared to what the alternative would be, which is using Hulu and Netflix, things like clothes. Do you need to buy new clothes or could they come from the thrift store or could you just buy less overall? Things like that. I think starting to examine everything through a happiness lens or a value lens it, it suddenly becomes so much easier to understand how you're going to save money rather than just trying to look at it from a purely numbers perspective of starting with like, okay, we have this big target. How on earth are we ever going to save that? That's impossible. I think when you actually put it into terms of the expenditures and, and scrutinize them, it's much easier to envision. And the other, other side of what you were just saying, Tanya, is then allow yourself to spend money on the things that do bring joy. Mm-hmm. If that latte t- every other day is really like a, you know, relaxing and, and satisfying moment for you. Great. Build yep. that in and, and let yourself do that, but find the other things that, that don't. Exactly. Yep. I love it guys. This is super inspiring. Congratulations on what you've done in your life. 38 and 41, you have your whole lives ahead of you, a great marriage. And now you are pursuing the things in life that really make you feel happy. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you guys. This is awesome. Thank you. And congrats on paying off your house. Thank you very much. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to define my next life as well. (laughs) Excellent. So where can people follow you and connect with you and keep following this incredible story? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. They can find us at ournextlife.com and we have links there to all of the other places that we live online. We'll have links there to the podcast when that's up, um, as well as links to my other podcast that already is on air, the fairer sense that I do with Kara Prez on social. My handle on Twitter is at our underscore next life. And that's the same handle on Instagram and um, Facebook. You can just find our next life. So I'm in all the, all the normal places, but our next life will get you there. And extremely Googleable too, everybody. I was Googling our next life. I mean, it's, it's way up there. It's awesome. <laughs> Well, I'll put all that in the show notes and uh, that way you guys can grab that uh, if you're driving right now and can write it down. But thank you both so much for spending time with me today and uh, enjoy your sixth day of retirement. This is super fun. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Andy. Talk about an inspirational couple. Tanya and Mark have taken control and are now living the lives they've always wanted. It didn't come easy, though. They worked hard. You heard them say it. They put in some major hours. Did you hear Tanya say, what did she say, three million travel miles? That's insane. I'm sure it felt insane at the time when she was traveling for work, but now it's insanely awesome because they can use all those miles for fun. Anyway, I had three takeaways that I wanted to review with you all. These were some epiphanies that happened, for me at least, on how... You can simplify this early retirement mystery. Number one, recognize mindless spending. Mark said that they used to spend whatever they had in their checking account. If there was money in there, it was going to be spent. There was a moment in the beginning of their six-year journey that they said, we need to be more intentional. 
We need to be intentional about our spending if we want to do something incredible. So that first step for them was recognizing the mindless spending. Number two, avoid the lifestyle inflation. When they got raises, when they got promotions, things like that. They didn't change their lifestyle. They kept their eye on the prize and kept moving forward. That's where a lot of us falter in this game of building wealth and and building financial freedom for ourselves. Even outside of the early retirement side of things, you can crush your goals for regular retirement if you avoid the lifestyle inflation trap. Number three, automate your investing. Tanya and Mark took advantage of index fund investing and added easy automation to the process. When the income came in, it went directly into their investments. They didn't even give themselves the opportunity to spend it. Based on this, automation was huge for them to get where they are today. So to recap, my early retirement takeaways were number one, recognize mindless spending. Number two, avoid lifestyle inflation. And number three, automate your investing. Even if early retirement isn't your thing, like we just said, these takeaways can be applied for paying off debt, big savings goals, or just like I said earlier, regular retirement. Your diligence, discipline, and consistency will pay off in the long run, my friends. Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Jane from New York called in with a big debt-crushing win that she just completed last year. Take it away, Jane. Hey, this is Jane, and I blog at Cash Fasting. I paid off $35,000 of student debt in three years. Uh, There are three reasons that I was able to do this. First, and kind of most importantly, I lived at home for over a year when I started working back in 2014. Um, This was when I was living in D.C., and not having to pay rent uh, for half of groceries, car-associated costs, saved me a ton of money. So thanks to mom and dad for the help there. Uh, Second, I try to automate my finances as much as possible. So each payday would roll around. I would make sure that a huge chunk was going to my debt, but I also had money going towards savings account and to retirement because I wanted to make sure I was building my net worth while paying off debt. That was really important to me. And finally, when my earnings potential started to increase, I made sure that a lot of that went towards my debt instead of going into lifestyle creep. So promotion, uh, new jobs, even smaller windfalls like birthday gifts and tax refunds all went into debt when I was still paying that off. And that really shaved off months from my debt repayment period. Here on out, I'm setting my sights on larger goals like real estate investing. Um, I live in New York City now and real estate is hugely expensive, but um, I'm trying to do the math and save up to a point where I can kind of dive in on a small project. Um, Follow along my blog if you'd like to hear more. Thanks. There's a common theme on this show today. Avoid the lifestyle creep and use automation to win. Like Tanya and Mark, Jane did not allow herself to spend the new money that came into her life. The salary increases, the tax refunds, it all went to her debt. She was on a mission to crush these student loans from her life. And now she's moving on to real estate investing. I have no doubt that she'll crush her goals there too. As you heard from Jane, you can follow her on her path toward early financial independence at cash-fasting.com. That's cash-fasting.com. Jane, congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. 
Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? Please contact me at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail like Jane did at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 71. A huge thanks to all of you for helping me hit my goal of 80 iTunes reviews this month. Eight zero. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. The show continues to grow with that type of support. If you have a friend that would enjoy the messages we're sharing on this show, please tell them about this podcast. Who knows? You may just improve their marriage, their relationship with their kids, and help them build their family's wealth. At least uh, that's what I'm shooting for here today. (laughs) In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Pablo Picasso. Our goals can only be reached through a vehicle of a plan in which we must fervently believe and upon which we must vigorously act. There is no other route to success. Here's to putting that plan into action, my friends. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.